Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. An implicit bias is an unconscious association, belief, or an attitude toward any social group. Due to implicit biases, people may often attribute certain qualities or characteristics to all members of a particular group, which could be known as a a phenomenon called stereotyping. It, It is important to remember that implicit biases operate almost entirely on an unconscious level while explicit biases and prejudices are intentional and controllable. Implicit implicit biases are less so. A person may even express explicit disapproval of a certain attitude or belief while still harboring similar biases on a more unconscious level. While some people might like to believe that they are not susceptible to these biases and stereotypes, the reality is that everyone engages in them whether they like it or not. This reality, however, does not mean that you are necessarily prejudiced or inclined to to discriminate against other people. It simply means that your brain is working in a way that makes associations and generalizations. The BTCC, Implicit Bias Training Community of Practice, is a network of organizations and individuals collaborating to provide training, build relationships, and promote actionable change to address the root causes of social problems in Monroe County. The acronym BTC stands for Building a Thriving, Compassionate Community. Monica Fleetwood Black is a licensed clinical social worker with IU Health Southern Indiana Physicians. She focuses on the mental health counseling branch of social work and is also a principal presenter with the BTCC Implicit Bias Training Organizations. She is here to shed light on systemic implicit bias and ways she and her colleagues propose to reverse and manage this behavior. And also we have with us um, a former contributor of Bring It On and also a former DJ at WFHB. William Morris is the host of WFIU's jazz program, Just You and Me, for which he created the upbeat Soul Kitchen featuring funky jazz, R&B, gospel, and rock. He began at WFIU after about five years of volunteering at community radio station WFHB, where he hosted such programs as the Tuesday afternoon music mix, Ora Latina, and the Jazz Menagerie. He broadcast with his radio handle, Brother William, a full-time staff attorney at Indiana Legal Services and other organizations that we're going to ask him to elaborate more on. Brother William previously was in private practice that concentrated on civil rights and employment discrimination. And to both William and to Monica, welcome to Bring It On. Hey, thank you, brother. And so William and I are going to mute our mics and let you both talk for 50 minutes. No, we're not going to do that. But no, we are so pleased to have you. Um, You almost have to make light of this topic at the beginning because... I think it's so pervasive in our country and not only America, America is just not germane to America. I think it's all over the 
the world, unfortunately, uh, where we have class and caste structures in place. And uh, some of these behaviors, and I'm assuming, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, are learned um, and reinforced as one gets older. Or when they get into some settings uh, to fit in, they maybe adopt certain postures and certain beliefs. Uh, especially like if you go off to college, you may have had a certain community of friends back home, but when you get to college, you want to fit in. So you adopt some ideas that perhaps you would not necessarily adopt um, before you got there, have adopted before you got there. Having said all that, you both live fascinating lives. And I like to uh, ask um, uh, William to, Brother William, I'm going to call you William. I may slip and call you Brother William. I've known you too long. <laughs> but go ahead and share with us your background, your involvement, and how you come to uh, be familiar with this topic of uh, bias, implicit bias, prejudice, uh, stereotyping, all those things. Well, Clarence, you know, thank you so much for having me here. It's always good to come over to speak to you and, and to William, too. You know, y'all are, are, have big spaces in the Brother William heart, so I, I just love being with you and spending time. And thanks for Monica to be here. I've gotten to know Monica through the work we've done on implicit bias. And, you know, as I listen to you and William describe it, um, Clarence, I, I think there's a couple of things that, that really, Monica can, can probably explain some of this better than I do, but I think the big conscious thing that the, the word is unconscious. And in my training, the way I train, I tell a lot of stories about my own life because in my own life, there are so many opportunities. There's been so many times when I have shown my own biases. And I just wanna give you one quick illustration. I went to a social justice meeting in Atlanta last year and we were down there by Dr. King's house and all that. And I rented an Airbnb right in, right in downtown Atlanta. I rented it from a brother that was an Arab American brother lives in Florida. I forgot his name, but he had an Arab American name. I talked to him on the phone and, and I knew the brother had an Arab American background. So I got to the Airbnb and I went to go sign on to Wi-Fi and I saw all the different Wi-Fi names. And there was one Wi-Fi name that said Shalom. And I thought, oh, that's got to be him. So I'm trying to sign on, I'm trying to sign on, I'm trying to sign on, and I couldn't get on. So I called the brother up and I'm huffing and puffing because I can't get on the Wi-Fi. I said, man, I signed on for Shalom. He said, I'm not Shalom, I'm Flower. <laughs> and, I saw, and I thought myself about this big because that was my implicit bias. It wasn't an act of racism. It was an implicit bias that I I had made the wrong association and put things in the wrong category. And that's what implicit bias speaks to in many ways. It doesn't speak to having active biases. It speaks to the way that we as human beings miscategorize information and then start to make decisions about our lives and other people's lives based on that miscategorization. And so it's a, it's a broader window than I think that you all described it. And um, that's what appeals to me because it gives many people a space, a safe space to, to begin to sort of filter through and look at some of the ways that they have miscategorized people. Many times leading down the road about race, many times about gender, gender identity, um, religion, just all kinds of ways. And I think anybody that's conscious enough and humble enough and thinks about their lives enough can think of ways that they've mischaracterized other people. And it's, it's just a human nature thing. Monica? 
Lovely. Well, I'm going to introduce myself a bit to give everyone a little background. <laughs> Brother William doesn't need as much introduction as me because everyone knows who he is already. So my name is Monica Fleetwood Black. I'm a born and raised Bloomingtonian. My parents came to Bloomington in the 70s to go to IU and never left. And I think some of you guys might know my, know my dad pretty well, <laughs> which is cool. Um, so I went to... Um, I grew up in Bloomington, which I think gives me a really unique and important um, context because now I've, I'm building my like permanent adult life here as well. And so having had that longevity, I think really helps um, doing these trainings because I'm not an outsider coming in to train people in Bloomington. I grew up here. I went to school here. I had to deal with public and private school here as a African-American woman who's also biracial and having to navigate those waters because my parents were married. We lived out in the country. I didn't fit into a lot of stereotypes people have about black kids in Bloomington or black kids in general, right? So I had to get out of here by the time I got through high school. I went to Earlham College. I have an undergrad degree in African and African-American studies with a minor in women's studies. And then I um, came to back to Bloomington after my mom's passing and started my uh, program in African-American and African diaspora studies here at IU. So that's my other master's. And it was through that learning about black history. I mean, that's, that's what really got me jazzed about higher education. You know, I, I basically picked my major in, in black studies because I love doing the homework and I love doing the reading. So my advice to all people all the time is major in what you love to study <laughs> and forget about the rest. The rest will sort itself out. So in my pursuit of that, um, my mom was a therapist and I always knew I wanted to work with people. And so she she really inspired me to pursue a master's in social work. And we, when my little brother was also adopted out of the foster care system. And that is also part of my inspiration. And so I got a master's in social work from IEPY. And from 2014 to 2020, basically, I worked um, as a home-based therapist for family solutions with kids involved with foster care and families involved with the child welfare system. Um, in 2019, I came to IU Health, where I now do, as you said, um, mental health um, and therapy services for our youth in Monroe County and the surrounding counties, um, to be honest. But my, how I got involved with implicit bias, I give all that background because a lot of people don't know that I have this whole other side of me that studied Black studies for um, many, many years. And, you know, my emphasis on diversity, um, equality, women's, uh, women's studies, and how do we help, you know, the oppressed and kind of all aspects was a huge, um, is I've been trying really hard to bring those interests into social work and into the therapy room as much as possible and be a therapist for people, for underrepresented communities, women, people of color, people of LGBTQ. So my, my focus as a therapist is also to help people on the margins, right? So I was trying to bring these two um, mission, my life missions together under one roof. So I actually was working at Family Solutions when the implicit bias community of practice came to our office and gave us implicit bias training. And I was like, yes, you know, we need this. And I, I was raising my hand. I'm like, I have something to say, but I mean, I was that kind of kid anyways. I front of the class, did all the reading, <laughs> raised my hand. So I was just talking a lot because I, I have this other you know, very intense educational background that's trying to deal with racism and structural racism and implicit bias. And so the trainer, Stephanie Solomon, came up to me afterward and she was like, uh, I think you should join us, don't you think? <laughs> I think you should contribute. And at the time I was like, no way, girl, are you kidding? I don't have time for that. Um, but 
um, within a, so I joined in the, uh, within a year later. So in the spring of 2019, I was like, all right, you know, Stephanie, sign me up because doing this training has helped marry my work as a social worker and a therapist for children and families. And also my commitment to the empowerment of black people and people of color in general. Like this is like, it was like a perfect way to bring my two loves together, my love of teaching and talking and helping people. Um, and also being able to invite folks, as we said, into a safe place to talk about race and structural inequalities and classism and sexism and all of the isms and things that are all connected because our training's about implicit bias, but you know, all of these things touch each other, you know, on the margins, all these things are overlapping. And I think, um, being from Bloomington and being kind of an insider in that is a, is have been really beneficial for me to be able to do these trainings with people. Cause I've trained people who, who knew my mom, I've trained people who knew my dad. I trained people who knew me when I was little and I don't even remember them, you know? <laughs> and I think that has a really big impact because this is so, so sensitive. It's so, um, hard to broach these conversations and and yet so many people want to but don't have a space to do it in a in a place where it's going to be educational where it's going to be productive right because so, so many times these conversations just end up with people yelling at each other and people get hurt and shut down and we all go back to our own corners and and then nothing happens then no progress happens so so yeah so that's just a little bit of like how i got in, involved and and um what's funny is i got involved in spring of 2019 i did one live training and then by the time i was like ready to do more COVID happened and so the majority of my implicit bias training has happened over zoom <laughs> which is not my favorite at all so i'm like ready to do this training back in person because i think and I really appreciate, you know, that you came, Clarence, and that you were there, and I hope it was helpful, but it's hard to read the room over Zoom, and it's hard to really encourage and engage and encourage people that it's okay to talk about this when, like, it's pretty easy to zone out on Zoom. It's pretty easy to unmute yourself and turn your camera off and pet your cats or water the plants or do, and we all do that, and it's totally fine, but this is training that I think really um, is, is best done in person where you can, you know, create a good atmosphere in the room to create that comfort because there is so much hesitancy and people are scared they're going to say the wrong thing. I'm holding up quote fingers because that's ridiculous, but we all have that kind of fear. And um, and so, yeah, so that's, you know, I just, I love Bloomington. I was born and raised here. And as a, as a Black person who was raised here, we have a lot of work to do. And, you know, I'd like to be a part of that because I'm talking to biracial, Black, white, queer, LGBTQ kids who are like, and, and we can all do better. So, um, so that, yeah, well, long winded, but that's kind of how I got here. Well, well, on that note, uh, and she did reference for our listeners, uh, an obvious training and workshop that I had uh, just recently attended through Zoom. And even though it was virtual, it was most impactful. Um, there are challenges, of course, even in doing this show, we're so used to, we were used to being in the station and sitting across the table with microphones, but with this sort of new abnormal with COVID, we've had to adapt. And even with the challenges, um, this workshop I felt was vital. I felt the participants gathered, something I felt it resonated with everyone. But I did pick up what you just elaborated on, which was um, there was a sense, I think, of holding back and not really engaging but you created sort of the 
breakout room spaces on Zoom, which did provide a sense of um, oh, an added layer of comfort for people then to open up. And in those discussions, people began to, but then we had the constraint of time mm -hmm. because to unpack everything we've all gone through, it's very obvious this is a full day workshop or a two day. And to get people to invest that time can be a challenge. Now, to sort of kind of go into in depth of what why we're here today, some maybe view implicit bias as just another catchphrase. You know, we're sort of in this era where every other month is a new catchphrase and you got to keep up or get left behind. And so it seems like the flavor of the month is implicit bias, whatever. Now, mm -hmm. granted, this may have been discussed years ago, but, but go, going through a summer like we did last summer, mm -hmm. going through a very contentious, heated election that exposed a lot of our hurts and a lot of our divisions and polar, polar, uh, polarity, polarized uh, living. Um, some view this, and you may get some pushback on that in, in your, in your in-person um, workshops. Talk about that, the two of you. And, and William, you mentioned that, that you and Monica did do some workshops together. So I want you both to kind of reflect on that, and then I'm gonna to yield to William. Well, um, let me say, first of all, Clarence, that uh, I have not had the good fortune of doing a workshop yet with Monica. We have only been in, in meetings where we coordinate what we're trying to do and we set our goals as an organization. I think I'm scheduled to do with my first training with Monica in July and my birthday is July 18th and I train with her July 24th. So that will be my big birthday present. Uh, Yay. <laughs> yeah. but you know, uh, Clarence, um, I, I definitely hear what you're saying and I get this. Um, I could take time to get straight in some of what you, how you describe me because I'm in private practice now and, and half the cases that I have are civil rights cases where, um, you know, folks have just been terribly mistreated. And I get that from, you know, George Floyd, but going back to Emmett Till and all in between, there's been all these places where, you know, great demand, the, just, the demand for justice is great and dramatic and sad and powerful and all of these things. And implicit bias training is not about dealing with that. That's a really a whole nother cup of tea. One of the leaders and organizers in our group is a woman named Stephanie Solomon. And Stephanie is a little bit like Monica in that she helps people who have gone through severe trauma, especially kids and, or, you know, young, uh, young people. And, you know, what we try to do is to create, and I think you talked about this, Clarence, a safe place where people can talk about it, just begin to talk about it, begin to say, like I tried to say in my story, I mischaracterize stuff too. I do it properly all the time. I put things in the wrong category because I'm a human being and because just because I just do, I just make, and I, I, I got tons of stories where I've put things in the wrong place. I, I, I thought somebody was this and they weren't that. I thought some, and, but I wasn't doing it hatefully or mean or bad spirited, I, but I did it. And it was a mischaracterization. I got a story I always tell one time about a, a lawyer I worked with at Legal Services who was speaking very, very loud to somebody one time and she's a very soft-spoken person. And I went into her office and I looked just to see if she was okay. And she immediately, she lowered her voice and she smiled. She came into my office a little bit later because we talked about implicit bias all the time. She said, do you know why I was talking so loud? I said, no. She said, because my client is blind. 
that was the miscategorization she had made. If I talk louder to this person, they're going to understand me. But the person's blind. And so, you know, it wasn't hateful. It was well-intended, but it was, it was the wrong categorization. And I think that that's all we're trying to do. You know, when we go and talk about Reverend Barber and Moral Mondays and the Poor People's Movement, Reverend Barber says, if you care about poverty and you care about race, then you're welcome into the tent to discuss things. Every black person ain't for gay rights. Every black person ain't LGBTQ friendly. Um, in fact, a whole bunch are not. So it's, it's not, you know, and so that's not, I'm not trying to make a judgment about us about that. I'm just trying to say that there are groups <clears throat> who are tr mistreated, who do not see eye to eye about how to get to the, the halls of justice. And so what implicit bias is, and in, in, in I think we sort of generally agree about it, Monica and I, is it's trying to create a space. And I get her feeling about how it's much easier to do this when we're talking to people in person. Um, and I've been in, in trainings where I can tell that the little, little guy at the back of the class, the little Caucasian guy, he wants to just stand up and say, this is whatever. I know he wants to do it. But by me being there, just sharing some of the stories about me and talking about the things that we talk about in our training, it opened up a little bit of space so that he could tell me what he wanted to say. And, and you know what? It was okay. It was okay. And I was glad he felt safe enough to come out and say what he wanted to say. And that we had, that's a success. That's a success in giving somebody this space. And, you know, it's like giving somebody the space to, in, if you were put it in a church context, to give somebody the space enough that they will come and confess a sin, you mm -hmm. know, but everybody ain't going to do it because they're ashamed, they're blamed, they're anger, there's finger pointing and all that. So that's why, like in the Catholic church, you do it in the privacy of a booth because people don't want to talk about it. And so that's the real challenge of our training is to create a safe space where we can begin to have dialogue. We will get justice in the courtroom at other times. We will picket and protest at other times. This is just another tool in the toolbox of talking about racial justice or isms and schisms and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hey, Monica, let, let me uh, throw something out there before you respond, because I think you're going to touch on this. Uh, you you kind of mentioned it already. And ever since I first, you know, we first started planning this show, I knew I wanted to ask you this question. But when I was in the military, I was going through like a four month uh, uh, class or uh, training on instructor training. And they were really pushing this gender neutral communication package on us. And so when they uh, tested us and then evaluated us, I mean, all of us were getting dinged really hard because uh, when we referred to someone, we kept saying he and she, and they said, no, you can't do that. It has to be gender neutral. Yeah. Well, we never got it. We never got it. And we pushed back on it hard during the class. And that reminds me of uh, maybe last week sometime I was conversing with someone on Facebook and uh, this thing about, and I noticed a lot of people are adding this to their, their email um, signatures here lately. He, she, him, hers. Mm -hmm. I don't have a clue what that means. Mm -hmm. And then another, and so you mentioned that uh, people were trying not to say the wrong thing. Well, that's mm -hmm. me because, mm -hmm. and I remember LGB first came out and now it's TQ and I can't mm -hmm. keep up with the letters that they keep adding on to it but at the same time I don't want to offend anyone 
And so I'm, you describe me to the T. I'm trying not to say the wrong thing, but I don't know what the wrong thing is. Mm-hmm. So can you speak to that and help a brother out here? <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay, multiple points here. Um, so I was gearing up to be like, okay, we're talking about implicit bias. So I'll come back to Claire's question because I think this is, this is 100% also part of what we're trying to address. So first off, a lot of this is just about education, right? It's just about, I just don't know. No one's ever broken it down and told me what this is. So people are putting he, him, she, her, they, them as their preferred pronouns. This is the term that is being um, being used so that people have an opportunity to um, say either in their email signature or when they're like going to a conference, you know, these are the pronouns that I prefer to use. Because sometimes we can look at women and pre- think that it's a woman when really it's a man. You know, we oh, you have long hair. I assume you're a girl, but really it's a boy. And so it's just a way for folks um, to say, this is my this is my gender that I express. And this is the gender I want to be recognized as. And these are the pronouns that I want to use. Because the reality of America is that this place is based on a dichotomous way of viewing the world and ourselves. Our country is steeped in a black, white, man, woman, us, them mentality that for a long time was steeped in systems of power and who had the power and control. And that system, that either or kind of thinking, that black and white kind of thinking worked then, but it is no longer serving us. And in fact, it's doing more harm than good um, because (laughs) I'm black and white, so I don't get to choose. And a lot of biracial people in the day had to. People passed or you know, hid, hid who they were, or denied relatives, did all sorts of stuff, because this country says, no, you can't be both. You have to choose. You have to be this or that. You can't, you can't be both. And I think what the most recent movement, you know, from, from, you know, the angel George Floyd and like what his, what his murder has, has pushed forward, but also the LGBTQ movement in general is going, no, folks, having a dichotomous way of viewing the world as things are either this or they're that. You know, you're Republican or you're Democrat, you're right or you're wrong, you're black or you're white. That's not gonna work for everybody anymore. We have to evolve, it's time to evolve. So when you're seeing folks um, put their pronouns and emails, it's just their way of, of saying, hey, I recognize that not everybody identifies as he or she, that some people identify as they, or some people identify as just their own name, and that we're all cool with, with calling people and addressing people how they want to be called and addressed. So, so that's one thing. The other side of this is, yes, the, the, the terms have expanded, right? LGBTQAI+. So what does that mean? Um, LGBT, lesbian, gay, LGB, bisexual, T, transgender, LGBTQ. Q is for queer. I is um, intersex, um, AI. And A is for ally. And then we just put a plus sign at the end to say, and everyone else, if, they, if, if one of those terms doesn't fit your boat, then great. So that, again, the extra letters were just added on to be more inclusive, to include transgender folks and allies who, you know, I consider myself an ally. I'm a straight woman married to a man, but have rainbow flags in my front, in the front of my house, because I want people to know, like, this is a safe space. And no matter how you identify, you know, you're welcome here. Um, and so I have those kind of um, things in my therapy room. And o- often I've had uh, kids that identify as LGBTQ plus have seen my stickers and been like, the only reason I told you about myself is because I saw your sticker. And like, that was all they needed to be like, okay, cool. This woman is not going to judge me. So the 
Extra letters have been added on just to include, to try to be more inclusive and include more people. And it's okay if you don't have all of those memorized, that's fine. You, no one's saying you have to, um, but the extra letters are for that. And I think you have a really um, great point about the struggle of I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings, but I don't understand or I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so here's my here's my best advice. Like, is this advice that transcends LGBTQ stuff or or gender um, identity stuff? This this goes for how, what about you know people's race or pe people's religion or where are people from? The best course of action is to admit you don't know and say to someone, "I'm asking." out of pure curiosity, because I'm curious and I want to know, and I'm coming from a space of, of curiosity. And just be open and honest about that. That is far better received than oftentimes, you know, we let our egos kind of run the show and like, oh, I don't want, I don't want to look bad. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to seem like I don't know what I'm doing. And, and sometimes that like our own little ego peacock selves that we all have, like sometimes that can really get in the way of, of having open and honest dialogue. So for example, my um, I hope I hope Harper is OK with me doing this, but my nephew Harper, I call them nephew because Harper was born a girl. But when um, they were 11, they said, I'm I'm non-binary. I'm not a boy. I'm not a girl. I'm Harper. I want to use they them. And I said, well, Harper, there's no gender neutral term for niece or nephew. So now you're my nephew because I don't know how else to combine it. So I'm going to combine it. And it took us a long time as a family to be able to switch from using she, her pronouns. Harper was always a girl for us um, their whole lives to switching to they, them. And, and you know, I have an old black dad, love him, but like he did, yeah, still has a hard time with that. And my African-American brother, had her dad, um, Harper's dad had a hard time. Um, dealing with that um, because they're just like we don't get it and we don't understand and why aren't you okay just being a girl and all this stuff and and so it's been really amazing as a family for us to go through this process and also for Harper to give us a lot of grace we slip up I just use the she pronouns referring to Harper so sorry Harper um, and it's okay to make mistakes I think if you do slip up and use someone's wrong um, gender pronoun the best thing is to just address it immediately and say oh I'm really sorry I meant this and just correct yourself immediately it's when we get shamed and we get embarrassed or we're not, we're too afraid to say something, that's when things really get crazy. So with Harper, we all said, look, you're going to have to give us a long a time to get used to this. We've known you as one way. We identify that you want to be identified this way. We respect you because Harper is extremely intelligent and didn't just like come out of this from nowhere. Harper sat on this for a long time. They're really brilliant. And, and we said, but you got to, you know, you got to give us some grace too. And so we, we sat down with Harper multiple times and we continue to all the time to say you know what can we do to make this better what can we do but also you got to be forgiving for us because we're going to mess up and you're going to get it wrong you're going to get people's pronouns wrong i do it all the time with people i love i mean i just referred to harper as a girl you know and they're my nephew <laughs> but the the important thing is to be able to be like i'm sorry i didn't mean to do that and then just correct yourself and and move forward um because i think we get people get really caught up in um I, I think the ego is one of the biggest things that holds us back. You know, it's like, I don't want to look bad, but like we all look worse when we're not having these conversations and everything goes worse when we're not just saying it. So the best thing I you could do is ask someone, Hey, how do you want to be addressed? I don't want to, this pronoun thing is new to me. And I just want to, I want to make sure I'm addressing you the way that you're comfortable. So I would just ask someone, you know, what, what are, what do you prefer if there's a question or if you're confused? Sometimes with kids, I'll be like, 
So, are you dating boys or girls or theys? I just throw it all out there and then let the kids decide which one fits. Because I don't want to assume just because you're a girl, you're dating boys, you know. So this is how I kind of like just get around it. But I think the best thing is to admit when you make mistakes and go, look, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm learning. This is all new for me because no one was having these conversations when no offense, you all were my age. <laughs> I'm still your age. And I, I, I think, I think I need to take your training. Cool. I, sorry. I hope that was helpful. It's just, it's a very complex, you asked a really good and very complicated question. as a And lot. I'm even more well, confused. Well, oh. well before, before, before you, before you help them a little bit more, I need to jump in and do an identification. We do this ideally every 15 minutes. 15 minutes has come and gone. So I need to do this now. The voice you just heard, along with William Hosea, was Monica Fleetwood Black, who is a licensed clinical social worker with IU Health, Southern Indiana Physicians. Also chiming in, you've heard attorney William Morris, who goes by the moniker Brother William. Uh, he's a host of WFIU's jazz program, Just You and Me. Uh, where he created the Soul Kitchen, which many of you have heard every Friday. Well, you couldn't have heard because you're listening to WFHB, but there is this program on another station. Um, but anyway, uh, William also is a full-time staff attorney at Indiana Legal Services, but has taken on or is about to take on more responsibilities in the legal arena. But he previously was in private practice that concentrated on civil rights and employment discrimination. Both of our guests are very passionate about topics related to uh, bias and prejudice and trying to heal, trying to help, and trying to get clarity on a lot of topics as you just heard from both of our guests. Now, before we go back, I don't know if William, if you had a follow-up, and if yeah, so, uh, uh, we want to we engage also William in this too. Monica, I apologize. I was just kidding about being more confused. That was very <laughs> enlightening, but I still need to take your training. <laughs> Well, there's a lot to say. It's a big, it's a big topic, right? It's not, we're not just going to sit here in 10 minutes and, you know, figure yeah. it out. But Brother William, I'd love to hear your thoughts on. Well, you know, um, first of all, let me just put a little bit in there, Clarence. Thank you so much for all the kind words you say. I'm actually in private practice right now. And um, I, I left legal services about two years ago and I'm in private practice doing um, half of my work is civil rights cases. Um, police misconduct, um, prison reform, and other things that really our law practice is growing into that and happy to do it. And like yourself, Clarence, I'm ordained, so I'm a deacon in the Episcopal Church, um, where we're very active with, with these same sort of conversations. As, as you know, and some other folks know, I was a, a, I was a missionary in, in Mexico for five years. And the big thing that I did to support myself through those years was to teach English as a second language. And this stuff of implicit bias and these other things and the things that Monica are talking about is a language that's new to America. America does not have a history of people trying to speak honorably to other people. We don't have that history. And we, most of us of whatever color, whatever gender, we don't know how to speak cross-culturally. We just, we, and it's not a bad thing. It's just that we're, we're not taught that in schools. We weren't taught that in kids, as kids. I mean, Clarence, you and William and I are relatively in the same generation. And I don't think in any of our classes, in any school we were ever at, people were trying to teach us how to talk uh, cross-culturally. Um, I was telling uh, William about um, the, all the great work that Portia Maltzby did when she was setting up, um, you know, AAAMC. 
um, Archives of African American and Music Culture. And if you watch one of the videos about her and what she was thinking when she was setting up uh, the Soul Review and, and all of the different programs, she was trying to help people speak cross-culturally. She was trying to say to white people, you know what, this is a culture. This is not just a particular kind of music, Motown, stacks, or whatever, but there is a whole culture in talking and understanding and living and being with Black people and Black culture. And I think, you know, all of us, as we sort of go down the river of the lessons of George Floyd and other things, we're all learning new languages. Implicit bias training ain't about justice. That's a whole nother classroom. That's another classroom. It's a, it's a classroom about how do we begin to learn to speak to each other. And that's why, like, William's question is perfect. It's a perfect illustration um, of how we mean well, but we don't always get the language. We forget what the verbs are or the nouns or the adjectives. We, we haven't had, a, a, you know, whatever age we may be, we, we just don't know how to do it. And so what we try to do with the implicit bias training is to, once again, create that space that says, it's okay, let's talk about this new language here. Um, one last thing I just want to say is that, you know, like Monica, my history is, is, comes out of Indiana. And, you know, I'm a biracial African-American person. And, um, you know, so I speak to white family and black family and I see they don't know how to speak to each other. So I get it right, right straight out of Jump Street. They don't know how to speak to each other. And, 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 and they all love me. They all love me, and there's no question about that, but they don't know how to speak to each other, but they know how to speak to me, and that's part of my story, too, and mm -hmm. I, I just get that. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, that's all yeah. I I can hear my wife wherever she is saying, okay, you can shut up now. Oh, <laughs> well, I just wanted to add on real quick that I think one of the, one of the best reasons, like one of the best things implicit bias can do is to help clarify terminology, because... Mm -hmm. Or like, well, I'm not racist. I don't, I don't believe in the KKK and I don't have, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, racism and bias are separate things. You know, racism is often an overt act of hatred towards another group. And bias is something that happens unconsciously. It's part of our brains, which are supercomputers. I mean, you literally have to think of your brain as a supercomputer that's filtering information at high speeds all the time constantly. And it groups similar things together. Our brains just do that. Oh, all, carrots are orange, bananas are yellow. I mean, it categorizes things. And sometimes when it's working too quickly, it categorizes people and lumps people into groups they don't necessarily belong in. That's not a fault of an individual. That's just the way our brains are made. It's a survival skill. And so if you can understand, okay, my brain is just like rapidly organizing information. If you can work on slowing that process down, it helps you not group people into the wrong categories or assume things about people that maybe aren't the case, you know? So I think it's, it's our training, it's, it touches on racism, but it's also important to kind of separate. We're not, we're not saying, oh, all of you are racist, you know, people are like, I don't have bias. I, I treat everyone equal. We're not, that's not what this is about. This is about learning that our brains naturally do this. And we have the power to undo this, to slow that process down and be more in control of what our brain is doing and how we're lumping people together or categorizing people so that then our actions are not racist or steeped in systems of power that if we can control what our thought patterns are doing, then we can control how 
those actions get played out. But if you're just making knee jerk decisions and doing stuff and going doing that, that's, that's where the trouble gets in. So I just wanted to like bring that up and point that out that, you know, a lot of the pushback is, well, people are like, well, I don't have bias. It, we all do it because our brains are built that way. That's how we've survived for thousands of years. It's a good thing. Our brains do this. It's a beautiful thing. Let's recognize it. So then we can take some ownership of it down the road. I have um, one follow-up to that. Say you're a hiring manager or say you're an admissions officer. Say if you're vetting people basically in these different positions for a corporation or public organization or whatever, on and on and on. Um, heaven help us if they've not had any type of training um, to kind of filter out their own baggage. Not Okay, not baggage, but wow. Biases. Biases. Thank you, because I'm probably used to saying baggage, but bias. Can I give you an illustration of that? Yeah. So one of the things that I share in our training is I got a chance to become a friend with this uh, white woman who was in the music school and she was getting ready to graduate and go off into um, the orchestration orchestra world, right, with all these great honors of IU music school and all. And I said, so where are you going to go first? She said, I'm going to go to Chicago and try to make a living. I said, so how do you audition in Chicago? And she started to describe how maybe 10 or 15 years ago, you know, all the orchestras in the United States were male, right? They were always male. They were 95, 97, 99% male. Mm -hmm. And so decisions were being made on some reason that had to do with maleness. And so since that time, um, and I'd say in the last 10 or 15 years, they've started to do blind auditions where they put up a screen or a wall or a sheet or they put up something so you cannot see the gender of the, of the person audition. And that's just to help filter out um, biases, whether they be explicit or implicit, it gives people a fair chance. And, um, you know, it's just an illustration of how these biases can find their way into company policies. And that's one of the things we discuss um, in the training is how to identify them in um, the policy structure, and then maybe how to start doing things about them. So I think Monica could probably speak to that a little bit more clearly. That's well, absolutely. And, you, you know, we hit on that. We do a whole um, activity called the Universal Story um, to get at that, to, to put people in a position. If you're going to hire someone, you know, how, how would you go about it? Because the reality is for hundreds of years, People have been in positions of power to hire, fire, train, recruit, and they have not had many of them in mm-hmm. training. And that's why you don't see a lot of people of color in, in, in higher positions of power across all spectrums of our, of our economy because the people making the decisions never were checked. And so they, their brains grouped people based on stereotypes and you know, the stereotypes of people of color are not flattering, you know, and what and white people have been kind of controlling the narrative uh, up until very recently and in a lot of ways still. So so exactly. Heaven help us uh, managers who haven't had this training or aren't willing to acknowledge, hey, my knee jerk reaction would be to hire this white kid from Harvard, even though this, you know, this black kid who went to a HBCU has the same GPA, the same credentials, the same everything, but oh, this kid looks like, you know, my my kid's friend or a kid in my neighborhood. So we're going to go with him, you know, and and it'd be re- it's really easy to brush that off as, well, they just seem like the better candidate or they just seemed whatever. But, you know, there's been a lot of 
research and, and studies on putting applications of a white and a black person, you know, but the white, white person has a real white sounding name, whatever that means. And the black person has more, you know, uh, a culturally ethnic sounding name and they've got the same credentials and the white person gets hired only, only based on, on bias, you know? And it's been really easy to be like, oh no, it wasn't about bias. That was about this other thing or this categorization. You know, and I remember I have a personal story. <laughs> so when I was at Earlham, I would off, sometimes do the phone calls where you call alumni and are like, hey, I'm going to update your stuff. Need some money. And so, you know, it's fun to talk to alumni as a student. You're like, hey, and, you know, they want to ask about you. Now I do it to all the kids that call me from Earlham. I'm like, OK, I'm not going to give you any money, but tell me everything. How school? <laughs> and this one guy I got this African-American guy online. I'm talking to him because, I, you know, I'm like, oh, black studies. Da, da, da. And he goes, well, you don't sound black. <laughs> And this is like my fellow man, you know, and I was like, come on, come on. What does that even mean? And like, if you saw me, I, my dreadlocks are down to my butt. Like, if that doesn't make me black, I don't know what does, you know. So it's just it's just so interesting to see these. Bias and I have my own biases um, against folks, you know, but it's interesting to see them come out in these ways where it's like, well, I'm not being racist. Like, that's not what the conversation is about. The conversation is acknowledging that we sometimes categorize and lump people into categories that they don't always belong. And that when that is put into action or policy that has damaging um, and lasting consequences. Yeah. Um, I got a question and I was trying to figure out how to frame it. I'll just put it out there. On the world stage, we, we've witnessed two women in particular Go through, the, go through the crucible uh, of just scrutiny and, and bias. And I'm, th I'm thinking about Naomi Osaka and Meghan Markle um, in, in two different worlds, but experiencing sort of the, the brunt of, of not just bias, but overt racism, sexism, you name it. If they were listening right now, and they may be, what would you tell them uh, to help them out? William, I'll start with you. Well, you know, Clarence, uh, for whatever reasons, you know, some people like Miss um, Osaka or Miss Markle, they have learned a lot of these skills, right? They, 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 whatever life, the river of life took them in certain ways, and certainly on the professional tennis association, you know, you're speaking lots of languages, you're going to different places, you're seeing different parts of the world. And I was thinking of this while Monica was talking, once again, going back to the time that I was in Mexico. And, you know, I, I wish every Black child could spend some time overseas where they get grouped together as an American before they, where I got grouped as an American before I was a Black person. They, they didn't see my Blackness so much because there are Black Puerto Ricans and there are Black, um, you know, there's Black people in, in Latin America. So they saw my Americanism though, and they put me in that group. And so I don't know exactly what advice I would give them. I think they probably are know innately what to do. You know, their issues are a little bit different. Um, Meghan Markle went into the whole language of the royalty. That's one whole language in England and around the world. Oh, Miss Osaka is in a world that I, you know, that's about professional sports and providing an accommodation to somebody that has a disability. And the world doesn't think they should get that accommodation because they're so wealthy, making $50 million a year. So we're not going to give you an accommodation. I mean, you know, the way that I process their stories, they don't look the same to me. But I do see that both of those women have had 
informal training in this language. They know how to speak it and they have supporters in the world. Um, I really don't know how to answer that question, how to advise them. I, Cause they already speak the language in some ways. They're having to learn it at an advanced level, much like Barack Obama. He can, you know, you know, you and I and William and Monica, we understand what it means to be able to code switch, you know? And I think that what happens in implicit bias is you're learning another language to add to your code switch. And I think when you think about somebody like Osaka or Merkel or Barack Obama or Kamala Harris, they are speaking 10, 12, 15 codes, right? They're speaking, you know, Ms. Harris is speaking, Vice President Harris is speaking legal code, um, Indian code, um, black code, uh, white code, Howard University code, um, California code. You just think of all the levels of people she has to communicate with. And she probably knows in her heart of hearts without, not, without doing it anymore, how to speak to different people. And I think Miss Osaka probably does too, though, you know, they live in elite worlds, right? Professional tennis players. And as um, Zena Garrison, you remember the, the old, uh, a black woman that played back in like 30 years ago, she was on the circuit really by herself. And she was just saying that tennis is such a sport where you're by yourself. You're not, it's not a team sport. So you have to deal with so many things on your own. You know, you're out there on your own. People are watching you on your own. You do a lot of solo processing. Mm-hmm. Um, is I think it's very different for, for well, Miss Markle was an actress, so she's mm-hmm. coming through Hollywood and that whole thing. I, you know, trying to figure out what to do if I was them is like trying to figure out how to be Michael Jordan. I don't know, brother. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know. Monica, what do you think? Oh, I have so much to say, and I yeah. I know exactly what I would say. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I think this is an awesome question. Uh-huh, absolutely. Because in my opinion, and I'm going to get real Monica Black on us for a second, Mm -hmm. regardless of those women's wealth, their status, those two women have said, my mental health matters. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sacrifice my mental health because y'all think I should. And the fact that they said that, regardless of what it is, your tennis match, your princesses, you married the princess's son, but all that, those two women said, my mental health matters, and I'm not going to sacrifice my mental health for the sake of you all, people did not like that because in the course of history, black women have not had a platform to even have mental health or even have anyone acknowledge that it exists. We're just now getting to a place. And so now you got the therapist talking about mental health. So sorry, guys, here we go. We're just now getting to a place where you can even acknowledge that we have mental health. This very steeped, um, tradition of don't air your dirty laundry, don't be talking about family business with people you don't know, don't trust, which is was very helpful because you couldn't trust people back in the day and it was not good. But as mental health services are expanding and we're normalizing the fact that mental everyone has mental health, whether it's in good shape or bad shape, we all have minds, we all have hearts, like we all have feelings. It's okay to talk about those feelings and talk about our experiences. We're moving out of a place of shame and moving into a place of talking about it. And Megan and Naomi are on the front going, excuse me, uh, my life matters and my my feelings matter and and I get to have a say in how I'm represented and how you're going to show me and how you're going to put my picture out there and that's driving the white establishment across the globe crazy because for so long we didn't get to have a say 
oh, you want to have a say? You're fired. You're never going to work again. Bye. That's what happened to Black women who spoke up before. So this is about who controls the gaze, right? Now we're getting into what I studied in grad school. The gaze. Who's doing the looking? Who's controlling the look? That's always been controlled by white men. White men have been in control of how Black women appear in magazines, how we appear in movies, how we appear in on TV commercials, all of that. And, and that's been going on for for centuries and now the, t the tides are turning. You're getting black women who are going, no, no, I don't need any manager. Look at Beyonce, she doesn't do interviews. She doesn't let people, she's in charge entirely of the way that she represents herself. And so people don't have control over her and it drives them crazy. And Naomi said, yeah, I'll take your fine because my anxiety is too high to deal with all these questions. Go ahead and find me. And people are going, no, no, you're supposed to set, you're a black woman, you're supposed to sacrifice yourself for the good of other people. That's been the message at least I've gotten from this country my entire life. And so I say to Megan and Naomi, you go girl, don't let them mess with you, speak up for yourself, get a lawyer, get some representation because this is about changing policy. This is about changing policy for tennis or professional athletes, what our expectations of them are. This is about changing policy for politicians or if you're gonna marry into the royal family, but it's about bigger systemic change and about bringing light to a conversation about mental health because they're trying to shame Megan and Naomi. Oh, they can't handle it, their feelings. We're trying to shame, put shame on them for having emotions, for speaking up for their feelings. So I don't care how wealthy they are, they're black women that have to walk on this planet. And so they're sisters in my eyes and I'm like, you go girl, you go girl, fight, 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 get some advocates for you, get some representatives. I'd be getting the best lawyer money could buy and, and I'd be fighting tooth and nail for my freedom and for and for creating space for my own mental health, because that is all those women have asked for. You know, I, I wish our audience could see your facial expressions. I know. <laughs> I know I'm getting so because this is also your you hit right on where mental health and race for me clash. That is mm -hmm. I mean, that's the crux of my thing. So, yeah, when you asked oh. that question, I was like, oh, my God, I have so many things to say. OK, well, well, be before we land this plane, because believe it or not, Time has slipped away, um, which will bring me back to the all important question. We need to have you both back. We have three minutes and we do want to do a part two. So I'm just telling you both. Um, but I do want to follow up on one thing. I think I recently read, I may be wrong, but I think Beyonce is beginning to have, she admitted having uh, oh, challenges with social interactions or something or whatever, even at that level. And sort of that um, insulated world she's in, mm -hmm. there's pressure. Yeah. Um, you know, Michael Jordan would rarely go out. Michael Jackson dressed up in a costume. I mean, that's a whole nother discussion, which is right. in your area of just mental health. Yeah. But, but to, to, to get back to where, to where we started, this whole conversation of implicit bias, just like your workshop, and I told you, your workshop didn't really give us the full day. It gave us three hours, and it right. went just like that. We do want to get you both back. So so let's get a closing statement from you both. Um, and I, I would say if maybe 45 seconds a person, then we got to go right to a close. So we'll go with the attorney, uh, William Morris. Uh, sir, your, your, your summation, sir. Well, I just got to say that in listening to Monica is one of the great benefits of having this implicit bias group that we have. Because when we have meetings, you know, we have Deborah Meyerson, who's very intense. We have Stephanie Solomon. Rafi used to be in our group. I mean, there's just there's just 15 people that are very intelligent and they bring different points of view to the whole thing. And so one of the things, one of the real advantages of having our group and preparing for trainings 
is to hear all of these different points of views. And yeah, yeah. And so I'm, um, you know, I'm, 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 the, I'm the dinosaur in the group, so I get to hear all this. So it's very cool. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for having me mm-hmm. on. Um, Brother William and I are ready to continue the work of doing implicit bias with um, the community of practice. It's an amazing group to be a part of, and I am so grateful that I got to be on this show. This is like kind of a big deal for me. So thank you so much, Claren and, uh, Clarence and William. It's great to see you again. And uh, yeah, there's the conversation is ongoing. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, uh, we have unfortunately come to a close for today. And we have already asked uh, publicly for a part two, and they both consented. So we're going to follow up with that. But for now, we want to thank Monica Fleetwood Black, licensed clinical social worker with IU Health, Southern Indiana Physicians, for joining us to discuss a wide array of things. Uh, we started with this is systemic implicit bias, and we went all over the map. and in ways that she and her colleagues, such as uh, William Morris, uh, otherwise known as Brother William, who is a host of WFIU's jazz program, Soul Kitchen, which you can hear every Friday. I put that plug in you, you owe me. And, and so then also, uh, he's also a private practice attorney that concentrates on a variety of areas, but specializes, I think his forte is civil rights and employment discrimination. I wanna thank you both for joining us and it, you, we will have you back very shortly. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have any ideas for this program, we would love to hear what they are. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. Our email address is WFHB, excuse me, our email address is bringiton at WFHB.org. If you have an event or happening that African-American community should know about, again, please send info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about tonight's guest, contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is yours truly. Our consultant and WFHB News Department director is Cade Young. Our program engineer is Chantal LaFontante. Original theme music created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am William Hosea. I'm Clarence Boone. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 for another 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.